Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Today's sermon text comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, starting at verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burdens I give you is light. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Missio Day. This morning we are continuing on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that this term comes from the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, where he's trying to help to form them, to shape them as a community in their life together, as they're living out the way of Jesus, and they're hitting some rocky points. This concept of fruit of the Spirit is not just about individual growth in the life of believers, but instead Paul is wanting this community to be marked by this kind of fruit because they're dependent on the Spirit, the Spirit of God, to mold and to shape them. And therefore, the Spirit will bear this fruit in their lives together. Paul frames this conversation about the fruit of the Spirit as being part of a battle that exists within all of us. He frames this up as the acts of the flesh, the decisions, the actions that we do according to our sinful nature versus the fruit born of the Spirit. When the Spirit is producing this fruit in the life of somebody who's willing to be submitted to that work of God in their life. So remember that sinful nature is what it looks like when we choose a life apart from God versus the Spirit shaping us into God's design for us. So if I can back us up for just a moment, I have this kind of beef when people start talking about humanity as innately sinful. The fact of the matter is I want to return for a minute because the design for humanity is not marked with sin. The original design of God for men and women was that they would be flourishing, that they would be living in shalom with one another and with God. And in that design for men and women in their flourishing state, God placed his very image into us. We are image bearers and are meant to be part of this creation, to be stewards of God's good character and good intentions for the flourishing of the earth. That's what humanity is meant for. But of course, we know that in the fall, humans walked away from that design. And since then, we feel this battle that Paul is referring to. At one side, we have self at the center and we experience strife with others, and that's our sinful nature, versus this spirit-led, spirit-shaped character back to the image of God that we were designed for, reflecting the image of God and being God's agents in this world. So that's what Paul is talking about in this fruit of the spirit, is this life that's shaped and longing for flourishing 
in community for one another, being ready to be poured out in a radically different way for the flourishing of everyone. Um, that's God's design. So today, the characteristics that we're gonna talk about are kindness and gentleness. When I think about these words, we think, well, sure, that's nice. Melissa, you don't need to convince me. Those are nice words. I'm, I'm for kindness, I'm for gentleness. Nobody says, no thanks. I really like harsh mean people. You're gonna have a lot of convincing to do. I don't think that that's, anyone's against these virtues in and of themselves. I do think, however, that sometimes we like flashier words than nice words. We want something more fantastic, more, um, I don't know, important sounding. And these same like simple words at first glance, but I really want us to listen and hear and consider some beauty and richness and depth that is actually here in true kindness and gentleness that can sometimes be lost or underplayed. So the first thing we're gonna do is we're going to look for that beauty and richness because we're gonna look at these characteristics as they pertain to God's self. And then the next thing we're gonna do is transition to how we consider these characteristics in the life of our churches today. So first of all, let's look at kindness and gentleness as they have beauty and richness based in the very character of God as demonstrated in the life of Jesus. So for Paul, when he's writing out these words, he wants them to, these character traits to shape the community because these very words all characterize God and motivate God in God's conduct towards us as the church and therefore should motivate us in our conduct towards and with one another. So first of all, kindness. What's the working definition of kindness as used here? The key to understanding kindness is to be found in the instances where this word describes God's own character and activity towards people. Kindness is part of the active side of love. As we see in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It's the active side of love. God's kindness is found in his thousandfold acts of mercy towards people who do not deserve it. That's a really important facet of God's own kindness. It's really interesting also to see that Ephesians 2, 7 says that God's kindness is actually perfectly on display through Jesus. It is in Jesus that we see God's kindness on display in a demonstrated way. So it's love and action. It's a quality of God's gracious actions and attitude towards sinner towards sinners and in our desire to continue on in God's kindness, we also then can share this kindness of God with others. When I thought about this, what, what are some descriptors of the kindness of God? So we can even consider how to share that kindness with others. I thought about two things that stood out to me. Number one, Throughout the Old Testament, we see time and time again that God's actions of kindness, this demonstration of God as a kind God, is one that is again and again pointed towards people who don't deserve it. We rely on the kindness of God because His mercies are new every morning. And that demonstration of kindness towards somebody who does not deserve your kindness is something that marks God very specifically. When I thought about a demonstration of this in the life of Jesus, I actually thought about the moment of the Last Supper, where Jesus, surrounded by his disciples, knew he was about to walk to the cross in love 
for all of these disciples and all of us, right? And as Jesus sat at that table, he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And he served them the cup and said, this is my blood spilled out for you. And do you know who was at that table? Judas was. Among the others, Jesus demonstrated kindness by pouring out the bread and the cup and saying what it was that Jesus was choosing to do and served the very one who was about to be so unkind to Jesus. And Jesus served even Judas in that moment. And so that's just a demonstration of God's love towards those who do not deserve it, and kindness, excuse me. And then number two, the active, the active kindness of God also throughout the Old Testament, we see time and time again, is very specifically pointed out towards people who are vulnerable and oppressed. God calls his people over and over again to show special kindnesses, specific kindnesses to those whose society is pushing down, oppressing, abusing, mistreating, any of it. But God's people are to be especially pouring out kindness towards those people uh, that society is not honoring in that way. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this parable where a king comes back and is speaking to some righteous followers and says, you, you were great. Thank you for what you did. You visited me when I was in prison. When I was hungry, you fed me. I'm paraphrasing. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And they said, King, when did we do that? And the king replied to them and said, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing that to me. And that's God's way of reminding us that whatever action you take towards somebody vulnerable or oppressed or in need, you did that for me because they've been created in my very image. That action was towards me. And so when we think about living out God's kind of kindness, what might that look like? Again, I don't think culture comes again against kindness and says, no, no, we're, we're not for that. I don't think it's that. I do think, however, we can end up settling for a wrong kind of kindness, a shallower kind of kindness. The culture that we are in really promotes self-sufficiency and autonomy. And within that kind of posturing, we really see a lot of instances where we will point our kindness towards somebody who can give something back to us, somebody who might be able to advance us, somebody who might be able to um, show us something in return that will fill up a need in us. I think that's culture's way of looking at kindness. But spirit-born kindness is a pouring out kind. It's actively showing the love of God and demonstrating and living out the inherent value in every individual, even if they are not kind to us first. The Spirit empowers us to still live in kindness towards them or if they have nothing to give back, even better, because that person needs to know the very kindness of God because they matter and they have value to God. So it's laying aside our perceived rights or our agenda or even our material goods, whatever we have for the flourishing of someone else. It's a spending action, this spirit-born kindness. And the second characteristic that we're gonna look at today is this term gentleness. Now, the term that's used in the New Testament original language in the Greek, there's not a really perfect uh, uh, 
same word translation for it. So in the English word gentleness, there's this sort of negative sense that would suggest like an absence of courage or vigor. And that's not true in the language and the word that's originally used here. So in our term here, gentleness is talking about a combination of strength with meekness. It's a spiritual grace that is best understood as a humble disposition to the divine will. So in the passage that we read this morning, we heard Jesus uses this word to describe himself when he calls people, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your soul. So Jesus himself says, I am gentle. And this kind of disposition of understanding your own humility in the face of divine will, we also see in Philippians 2, where it's written that though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his design privileges and took the humble position of a slave. So Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of this gentle posturing. It carries a sense of humility in your own estimation of yourself in relation to God. And so for us, that looks like a consideration towards other that also remembers that we too need the love and grace of God. Now, where we're going to focus on this word today is Interestingly enough, shortly after the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in the same letter to the Galatians, Paul talks back to the spirit of gentleness in reference to how to restore a brother or sister in community who has strayed from the way of Jesus. That also is a similar, uh, the same term is used gentleness in the similar situation in 2 Timothy 2. In both cases, they're saying, do this restoring with gentle, a humble or a gentle spirit. So Galatians 6.1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So again, this is talking about in our life together. This doesn't mean in any, in the face of any sin, our posturing, like, or like if you're in the face of advocacy and injustice or something, this is specifically talking about you are there with a brother or sister in Christ and you are seeing that they have strayed from the fullness of that which God has for their flourishing. How do you approach this with them? With gentleness, because we remember our own need. That means we do not come at one another with a spirit of self-righteousness and just sock it to them, but instead with humility and with gentleness, with a right estimation of ourself, we reach out in compassion towards the one who has fallen to fault. Now, again, where do we see this demonstrated in the life of Jesus? Now, Jesus, of course, being fully human and fully divine, also was like us in every way, but without sin. So it's a little bit different, but I do love the story in John 8, when Jesus leads an entire group of people to this shift in posture towards gentleness, when they are um, accusing a woman who's just been caught in the act of adultery. And according to law, they have removed her out to the town center and they are preparing to stone her for her sin, stone her to death as the law allows. And they say to Jesus, trying to catch him, like, what do you say we should do? And Jesus paused in the face of somebody who indeed has fallen away in sin. It's not that the sin isn't there. It's not that the sin doesn't matter. But Jesus pauses and then turns to the people and says, 
Let you who are without sin throw the first stone, and one by one they walk away because it reminds everyone to have a gentle, compassionate posture that all of us need, this grace and love of God. And he forgives her her sin and tells her to go and sin no more. So this is a little bit more in the, the richness and depthness of these nice words of kindness and gentleness. But the place I want to take us to today is about specifically what this fruit looks like in our churches now, in this time and in this place. I was reading a book called Life on the Vine by Philip Kennison, and he goes through the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit one by one, and he talks about where culture is in a sneaky ways coming up against the true fruit of the Spirit. And uh, towards the beginning of the book, he read or he he wrote this, and I was just I was struck by it, and it really stopped me up. It was a convicting thought. He says, in many cases, the church is simply cultivating at the center of its life, the seeds that the dominant culture has sown in its midst. As a result, the seeds that the Spirit has sown are all but being choked out, and the fruit that is being brought to harvest has little or no likeness to the Spirit's fruit. Said another way, the church that is being cultivated in the United States looks suspiciously like the dominant culture rather than an alternative to it. That struck me that struck me in my bones to think that we would be allowing seeds of dominant culture to come in and choke out the seeds that we know the Spirit has laid in our midst. Which seeds are we going to cultivate? If we want to make sure to be cultivating the right seeds and not the seeds of culture, we have to be careful to look and see where those other seeds might be slipping in so that we can choose the Spirit-born seeds that God is planting, has planted in our midst. So what kind of things? Again, people aren't coming against kindness and saying it's not a virtue I want. So what are the seeds that would allow a lie to sneak in and be less than the fullness of God's design? I think when it comes to kindness, again, self-promotion and autonomy have us thinking that we will spend our kindness we're not really careful to examine our motivations. We will spend our kindness towards those who will give us something in return or from whom we might receive something, some kind of advancement or something like that. Also, I think that within dominant culture, kindness can just mean not being mean. Christian kindness is so much more costly and active than that. This is not a surface level niceness. This is a giving of self in the way that Jesus has given to us. It is at cost. It is for the flourishing of another because you are willing to make less of yourself so that somebody else can grow in the fullness of flourishing that God intends for them. That is spirit-born kindness. Let us not settle for the shallower version of just the absence of meanness or just being nice. It is beyond that. It also is not a random act of kindness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against random acts of kindness, but this spirit-born kindness is so much more than a random act because it is rooted in the true version of the person who you are looking at and who you are serving, who you are pouring out to, and you are saying, you matter to God. This is God's kindness unto you. I'm just the vehicle here because God loves you. This is not random. You are not random. 
You are loved exactly for who you are, and God has a plan for flourishing for you. That's not a random act of kindness. That is a specific God-honoring action of love through kindness. When it comes to gentleness, specifically the posturing in, uh, in, in bringing somebody back into the way of Jesus, I think this posturing of gentleness matters so much in divisive times. For example, what does the culture sneak in and say to us about a posture of gentleness when you're up against something that where somebody's gone astray? I think culture would say two things. Number one, you do you. My daughter Gigi says that, not about sin issues, just when I'm doing something weird or strange. She says, okay, mom, you do you. But I think that we would say that, and dominant culture would say that, even when they're approached with somebody straying from the way of Jesus. We would say, as long as it's not hurting anyone else and I'm not bothered, you do you. And that is not taking responsibility in our life together for the fullness of flourishing that we all have access to through the Holy Spirit. It is a joy in Christian community to be responsible for the flourishing of our brothers and sisters. So you do you will not fly when we are truly for one another's flourishing in the way of the way that God has created us to be. And then I think another way that dominant culture will sneak in and sow a seed is exactly the opposite of that, which is that we would come after somebody when they are in a way or a posturing that is against us. We would take a wrecking ball of self-righteousness and pummel them, either in person or on social media or behind their back. We just berate them. We will just run them over. We will go into attack mode. And that is not the posturing of bringing somebody back into the fullness that God has for them. If you hear somebody saying something that is devaluing another life, how do you bring them back? With a wrecking ball or in love, do you look at them and you say, like, this is not who God has you to be. That's, that's not honoring the fullness of life of another. Like, how do we pull back? I was trying to think of times that I've been corrected in this way, in a humility and honest posturing of humility. And I could think of several, I'm afraid to admit, but in each time it was somebody who in love could look me in the face and say, Melissa, I don't think that this is you. This isn't the version of you that God has for you. I could think of a moment when Andy had to send me, my husband, on a walk because I was being really short-tempered and uh, just mean-spirited, honestly. And instead of calling me out with names that he could have called me or, or shaming me in any way, he just said, I think you might need a little time. Something's off. Do you want to go on a walk and like maybe, maybe pray about what's going on? And he was totally right. Of course, at first I was defensive, but when I went, he was absolutely right. I had to trust somebody in community. Brandon on staff did this with me just this last week. He looked at me and instead of calling me a control freak, which he could have done, he said, Melissa, I think how is the Lord responding to you when you're doing all these things when he's called you to this? And another one was a little while ago in seminary when a professor put before our class just a bunch of really intense material to open our eyes to 
the horrors of issues of race and gender that existed in the church. And I sat there and I looked and I felt like she was gently leading us, but with conviction and with strength to something, saying, if you're a church influencer, you can't turn your back to this. And knowing that that was the spirit calling to me and saying that in my whiteness, in my femaleness, there are topics I need to do work on within the church. All of these are examples of somebody using a spirit of gentleness, but strength in conviction. As Brene Brown says, clear is kind. This does not mean to be soft. It does not, it, there is a strength in this kind of gentleness, but it postures to bring the other person to see the fullness of the way of Jesus so that we can engage in kindness, in gentleness for and with one another. What will we allow to be the harvest in our churches? We want that to be the spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit produces and let us not allow these little twisted versions of seeds come in and give us lesser food. We have something more through the Holy Spirit of God and this city is hungry for it. Your neighbors, your coworkers, they are hungry for this fruit. May we go forth in gentleness and kindness with and for one another so that we can actually be the very love of God exactly where we are. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, will you bear this fruit? Will you convict us when we've fallen for the false seeds and not let anything choke out the full version of that which you are cultivating in our midst? May we be agents of your peace and reconciliation, showing love, kindness, and gentleness to a world around us that is hungry, hungry for more of you. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.